Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. What happens when your parent lives alone and you start noticing changes in their behavior? For Krista Close and her two siblings, the realization that their mother's memory was on the decline meant she should probably no longer be living alone, and that they needed to figure out the best place for mom to live. But that wouldn't be easy, because Krista and her siblings not only lived apart from their mother, but the siblings themselves all lived in separate cities. If you're confused, hang on to your hats, because Krista's here to take us through all the twists and turns. She joins us from Los Angeles, where she works at the Polish Music Center on the campus of the University of Southern California, and where she also lives with her husband and their young son. Krista Close, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad well, to be here. Great, It's great to have you. I know there's been some drama recently with your mom, but before we get into that, by way of context, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your family life was like growing up? Sure. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the glamorous Milwaukee, Wisconsin. (laughs) And we we have an interesting family because I am both the only child of my two parents in one way, but I also have 11 brothers and sisters who are all halves and steps. So (laughs) yeah, big family. I am the youngest by six years. They're all six years and older than me. So I share I share my mom with my brother and my sister. So that becomes significant as we talk about caregiving for her um, at this point in her life. But also, my other brothers and sisters are also very supportive. But it, it really the buck kind of stops with me and my sister Mika and my brother Tony. And my dad was very much a part of my life, even though I lived with my mom and my brother and my sister primarily. I saw my dad all the time and. We also, my grandmother lived with us for a significant part of my childhood. My grandmother, who also dealt with her own dementia at the end of her life. And just as way of context, also, although I was born in the U.S., my mother was born in Poland, my mother and her mother. So I'm mm-hmm. first generation born here. And I think that some of that, that factor of having grown up in a war-torn country may also have an effect on her health and all of those things. So mm-hmm. so your yeah. parents divorced when you were young? Um, actually, they were never married. Okay. Um, they had both been divorced previously and mm-hmm. decided and they knew it wasn't going to work, and so they didn't want to go through a divorce. And in a lot of ways, I think that was the best decision because they had a great relationship. They remained friends, so I got to really have the best of both worlds. Okay, so just so I'm clear on this, you and your two siblings... They're full siblings, and I'm I'm their half-sibling. So the three of you share your dad or your mom? My mom. Your mom. Okay. So tell us about your mom's health and how it's changed over time. So my mom, just to give you the the now mm-hmm. <laughs> as a as a starting point, my mom is actually quite physically healthy. She you know very mobile, 
she has had a heart attack in her past and some other, you know, pretty major physical high cholesterol and things like that, but physically in, in very good shape. Her challenges are primarily mental. Her current diagnosis is early dementia. How old is she? She is 74. She'll be 75 in December. So the other interesting piece to know with this is that she is a retired physician herself, a retired psychiatrist. So hmm. that is, a, that is a, par- a fascinating part of going through this process with her, somebody who is so skilled with such a background in these things, these very elements we're talking about, the brain and its development and its decline. But as early as, I think it's now almost, it's four years ago, she decided that she should have a neuro evaluation. I think she recognized that she was she was losing some memory. And also, my mom's memory was never great. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, it's something we all struggle with in our family. And within a, about a year after the whole process of her deciding to have one and getting an appointment and going through all the various steps of it, she was diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment. Mm-hmm. So this so, was a, um, like an in-depth neuropsychological exam. Exactly. Beyond exactly. the sort of mini mental tests that a lot of people no, no, no. go through. This right. is very in-depth, right. right, just to mm-hmm. make that clear. And at that point, she was living alone. She lived near my brother, but my brother had a family and, and wasn't necessarily seeing her all that often. She was driving seeing friends, doing, you know, doing things completely independently. But pretty quickly over the following several years, we saw the decline worsen and we became more and more concerned about her living alone. So she was still in Wisconsin. I was in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So we started this process of looking for possible places for her to live and would, you know, sort of go in and out of the process because we all have our own lives and everything going on. And I think there's always a healthy dose of denial in these situations where you're not wanting to see it, the decline for what it really is. And so I was, I was taking the lead in looking at different facilities. And it's, I mean, as anybody listening to this, I'm sure knows, is astounding, the prices mm-hmm. and the range of possibilities and the differences that happen in different states. Just getting all of that straight, because I was in the back of my mind, although I was primarily focused at that point in looking to keep her in Wisconsin, you know, in her network of people that she knows there, although she's not a highly social person. She can be very social when given the opportunity, but she was also perfectly happy to sit by herself and read, which might have also been a factor in her decline. Hmm. Um, Hmm. After my father, she never really had another long-term partner. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, spent a lot of her time alone, even in her working life. Mm -hmm. So at some point over the course of 2015, we basically came to the conclusion that it really wasn't sustainable for us to keep her in Wisconsin. And we this was the wonderful thing about, you know, having siblings. While it can, I'm sure, for everyone, there are always the challenges of having siblings, but the wonderful thing is when you can sort of divvy up the roles, when you right. all recognize what your roles are. And my brother's in finance, my sister's an ER physician, and I'm a musician and cultural diplomat. So, <laughs> um, you know, we, we live very different lives in, in what we do. And sort of maybe along those lines, we, you know, recognize that I was very much the emotional support for her. My sister was very much the, the medical support. And mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, we all provide emotional support in our own ways, but I was a primary caregiver in that way. And do your sister and brother you know, live near her? 
My brother did live, you know, within two or three miles of her, but this was out in the middle of Wisconsin, no public transportation or anything in between there, you know, I mean, there, and he has a full-time job, two kids, a lot going on in his life. And that just wasn't his role with her. That wasn't the way they interacted. Uh, They had a good relationship, but it just wasn't necessarily the kind where they would sit and just hang out with each other for a long time. Uh Uh-huh. And what about your sister? So my sister's in New York City. Okay. So she and I are on opposite coasts. They were in the middle. Uh So we took all of these possibilities into consideration, keeping her there, sort of in the hands of my brother, taking her to New York City, being closer to my sister, or coming here. And we decided, given the fact that I have the job with probably the most predictable hours, I already have sort of a caregiving situation in that I have my son, a two-year-old son, but only one, as <laughs> to my brother's two, mm-hmm. and that I live in an area where it was feasible to do it. I have my husband to help me. You know, all of these things we decided. There's never going to be a perfect situation, but we decided that her coming here to Los Angeles was going to be the best possible situation. And she had at that point sort of fallen out of her network of friends, hmm. mostly because of just not remembering to keep up with them. And we knew that the family network would still be there when she, even when she came here, even if she didn't see them in, in person as often, you know, on the phone and everything like that, it would still be there. So we decided to bring her here. And once we decided that, it moved pretty quickly. I mean, we tried to do some interim steps. We had an occasional caregiver who would come a couple of times a week. Back in Wisconsin. Back in Wisconsin, right. right. Just to check in on her, Uh um, to take her to lunch, to take her to the store, if she really needed something, do things like that, and also to help her prepare for a move because she had gone from pack rat to really hoarder at that point. And she was living in a place that was much more smaller than the home she had had before. And so that's a good piece of context, though. I wasn't taking her out of a home that she'd lived in for 30 or 40 years. You know, some people, a lot of people struggle with this with their Uh parents. I was taking her out of an apartment that she'd only been in for less than than 10 years, and it wasn't like a family home or Mm -hmm. anything like that. So at the end of 2015, I came to visit her to deal with some of these sort of pre-moving things and everything like that. And we've become more and more concerned about her driving because of her distractibility. And it wasn't necessarily my plan to take her car away at that point because I knew what a struggle that would be. But I was in with her doctor and we just kind of, I hate to say it this way, but we kind of double teamed her a little bit and Mm -hmm. just really gave her some of the hard facts of, of the kind of damage she could do. And she agreed. We had a few hard moments with it, but it was really amazing how smoothly it went. So, yeah, and then I brought her to Los Angeles at the end of January. So before, just backing up for just a minute, when you visited her at the end of 2015, can you remember any conversations that you had with her about this whole process of moving, how she felt about it, what she was going through? Well, you know, I was lucky to... I was lucky to have a lot of carrots to offer her. You know, she's always loved California. She loves the sun. She uh-huh. loves the ocean. You know, not that she gets to see the ocean all that often, but, right. um, you know, she there are things that she loves about it. So there was that. There was the fact that my son was here, you know, that I right. was here, right. all of these things. So really there wasn't a lot of resistance for her from okay. that. I think she probably recognized on some level that there wasn't a lot for her necessarily. Left. I mean, she had her other grandkids there, but the chance to live near a grandkid she hasn't lived near before was, I think, kind of exciting. And that has been wonderful for both of them. Yeah. So, okay, so you were long-distance <laughs> caregiving for a while. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was so incredibly stressful. I mean, it just to have that unknown. And my only link to her was 
a cell phone, basically. You know, so if she yeah. turned it off or ran out of battery or she just happened to leave it under her comforter or something where she couldn't hear it, you know, there were definitely several panic moments. Thankfully, again, I have a brother nearby, so mm-hmm. he, he could check in on her. She had neighbors that were supportive, and that was huge. Having those neighbors, there were definitely a few panicked calls to the neighbors, and they would just say, oh, no, we saw her a few hours ago or whatever. Yeah, well, and no, you make a really good point. That's something that people should be aware of as a tool to get to know the neighbors of your parents. And that's what you I did. Like, over, yeah. You know, once we really started to realize things were going downhill in the last couple of years, I knocked on our neighbors' doors and just, they already knew me, but I just said, you know, can I get your phone numbers? Can I give you a key to my mom's apartment? And that way, you know, if you need to get in and she's unable, and they were all completely helpful and understanding, and they were actually in age, both older than her, but one was in better health and certainly in better mental health, and the other one was maybe not so much, but still very open and willing. That's you know, really it was great. a loss for them, though, unfortunately, too, because she used to drive one of them around <laughs> oh, <laughs> when she needed help. So, yeah, in that period, you know, it's interesting how in these crazy situations, how a month can feel like a year. <laughs> so in that <laughs> month between when I took her car away, because that was basically it was after Christmas. So it was very, very end of December. And when I brought her to California, which was the end of January. I found out that in January weather in Wisconsin, she was walking to the store, which was close to a mile away. Oh my she was gosh. walking to the bookstore. And I didn't know this for, you know, for several weeks until something came up on her credit card, I think, that she had gone to a bookstore. And I talked to her caregiver. You know, Again, she was an occasional caregiver, not somebody who was with her 24-7 by any stretch, and said, did you take her to this bookstore? Cause I don't even, how did she get to this bookstore? <laughs> and I knew we were, we were specifically trying to get rid of books, so I knew she wouldn't have oh, taken so her funny. to a bookstore. <gasps> so, right. And then I called the bookstore, and they said, oh, yeah, she's been coming in all the time, you know, just like before. We've seen her walking over, oh, and I'm just holding my head in my hand. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I have to get her here immediately. (laughs) So when you went in December, you weren't there for a month. You were just there for a few days? No, yeah, I was just there for three or four days. Okay, and then during that time, you took her car away. Did you sell it? We ended up actually being able to uh, sort of sell it, quote-unquote, to a family member. So So she didn't have a car. You went back to L.A., and then you found out she was You know, the funny thing was, that car was actually in the uh, parking structure below her apartment, though. (laughs) (laughs) So she was probably eyeing it longingly. No, she didn't know. She actually, because she would never go down there. She was a little phobic of that place. I knew that, thankfully, and so we didn't actually have a place to put the car at first, and so we just left it there. So and you, it's just, only, you know, oh it's, it's some of the, oh of the ironies. Yeah. <laughs> so you were only there for a few days, and then the, the keys were taken away, and then she just, because she couldn't drive, she just was walking everywhere. Yeah. In yeah. Wisconsin weather in January. It, yeah. Oh and my God. this is... This is not, you know, in a city. This is in a town, you know, a small town where things are not close by. Well, she was born in Poland. And yeah, exactly. At, the time, at a time when people got by with very little. So she's, yeah. she's a real survivor. She's a real trooper, yeah. huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you speak Polish with her when you were growing up? I heard it a lot. Um, uh-huh. So unfortunately, uh-huh. I never really learned. I can get by because now I, I continue to work in a Polish music center. So I deal with Polish a lot. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. my Polish has always been 
sort of childish, unfortunately, because I heard it so young, so it's there, but I didn't have the chance to develop it as well as I should have. And the interesting thing is that my grandmother, when she went through her dementia process, reverted completely back to Polish, even though she'd lived in the U.S. for 20 years, at least by that point, and her wow. English was great. Oh, wow. So that interesting? We, it's interesting and scary for us a little bit <laughs> yeah. because, I mean, communication it, with your mom. Well, you know, I, I mean, I have enough Polish and I, you know, have people who can help me if she happens to go through that same process. Right. What could be even more challenging, though, is that she lived in Brazil for most of her childhood and adolescence because she left uh, Poland at about five and went to Brazil. So she could revert to Portuguese as <laughs> another possibility, wow. so which did, I don't speak at all. So, so how, yeah, you don't know what you're going to get. So how did she get to the U.S.? They couldn't get a sponsor to the U.S., so that's why they ended up going to Brazil. And so I think that's part of the reason my mom loves Southern California so much. It's sure. a similar climate. Similar climate. But, some, but you know, she ended up in Wisconsin. Yeah, so they came through Canada, actually. They got uh -huh. a sponsor in Canada, and uh -huh. then they ended up living right next to the, I think it was the Consul General from the U.S. And so that person fast-tracked them into the U.S. So, uh -huh. But she sits outside every day reading in California sunshine now, and I think it actually is sort of reminiscent for her, you know, these palm trees and the banana trees and things like that she she loves the trees she loves the weather so and she's she's getting so tan i barely recognize her <laughs> wow so this is a story with a happy ending for now <laughs> <laughs> well for now yeah um things you know things continue to progress and whether because of the move or or just because of the natural progression of things, she does seem to be declining a little faster in the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So she's had a few wandering situations. Is she living with you now in your house? No. And this is the this is the absolutely happy ending part of things. We found an amazing place that is less than two miles from my house. It is convenient for me to stop after work. I can bring my son. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. It's a place named St. John of God, and it's completely gated in the middle of Los Angeles, and it's just this little oasis, and it wasn't even the most expensive option out there, which was wow. interesting. Huh. It was kind of in the middle in some ways. I found it at a place for mom. They gave me a list of recommendations, and that was one of them. That's yeah. great. So when you moved her from Wisconsin, you flew back, and how did that work out? How did that play out? Uh, that's an interesting question, yeah. So I came to Wisconsin to help her, you know, sort of do some, some last-minute things. And then my sister and I overlapped for about a day because we knew that we were going to have to get my mom out of that apartment before we were going to be able to get any real, not only packing, but throwing away oh, sure. and giving mm -hmm. away done. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> essentially, you know, she knew she was moving and she knew this was all happening when we packed a couple of the really important things which is for her mostly photographs. Mm -hmm. She just lives by her photographs. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I had to promise daily, even hourly, was that her books were coming, which not all of her books came, but the important ones did. She right. has just walls covered in bookshelves right now wow. and covered in books. Yeah, so she knew that she was moving, but whether it was the dementia situation or whether it was her own personal resistance, she just wasn't really holding on to the idea she was moving right now. You know, that plane ride that we were taking 
was the move. Mm-hmm. So when we came to her apartment that morning to get her, we were going to do a little goodbye lunch with some family, and then she and I were going to get on a plane together. So we came to the apartment that morning, and she just kind of was treating it like a normal morning, and we decided to kind of go with that. She knew she was getting on a plane, but we decided to not make a big deal about this being the move to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And even at times, she was having trouble grasping the getting on the plane that day. So I think it was just a lot for her to handle. Mm. It was a lot for me to handle. (laughs) So we just just had to, you know, because I was afraid of getting on a plane with a full-grown adult who might freak out. Did Um, you really think that would happen? You know, you just... Just never know. So I was, yeah. I was a little worried about that. And now, you know, at this point, I know so much better how I shouldn't have had worried at all because she's put her trust so completely in us. Isn't that touching, I mean, though? Yeah. And, I mean, we've always been her source of everything. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, she was, a, she was a single mom with three kids, and, and we were her world. Mm-hmm. And I think we still are. And she was very trusting and excited to be with me. Yeah. And so... We just had to go with that and let let her kind of have her illusions of what was happening. We had a few moments of fear, but Such as. it was really of just, you know, just that confusion of, wait, why am I getting on a plane? Why, why are we going to Los Angeles? You know, just right. kind of those okay. needing to review. Right. And I just never really talked about it being a huge move at that moment because I, I just decided we're going to do this in pieces. Uh-huh. You know, we're going to get we're going to get her there. And she stayed with me for the first about week and a half Mm -hmm. while her life was getting packed up in Wisconsin and getting shipped over here. I had intended to keep her with me as long as it took for everything to get packed and and moved. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, it was so hard. It, It was so, so hard because... She was in a new place, I mean, somewhat familiar place because she'd been to my home before, but not immediately familiar. And she was getting up in the middle of the night. So I had two toddlers, essentially. Were you getting up? up. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I was worried about her walking out the door. And Mm -hmm. so I was taking her to work with me every day. Thankfully, I have, I'm part of a small and very understanding staff that, you know, we could do that. And she would just sit and read here. It wasn't like she was terribly distracting while she was at work. But yeah. Well, this is a huge adjustment for you. Yeah. How did you <laughs> deal with that? <laughs> you know, it's it was an adjustment and yet not in one of those weird ways, I guess, of the way that we all, when life happens, we roll with it. You know, we have to. I've lived my entire adult life away from my family, uh, you know, half a country away from my family. Mm-hmm. And... It's been interesting for the first time to just have, you know, that, well, it's a holiday. So, of course, we'll have mom and, you know, we'll have, and I, I did have a little bit of a transition to that because my sister-in-law moved out here a couple of years ago. So, it's mm-hmm. actually, it's been like seven years, I think now. Mm-hmm. So, I did have family in town, but certainly having somebody from my immediate family and no less my mother who I'm responsible for. So yes. we're still working out the, the rhythm of it. But, I mean, I see her at least once a week, uh-huh. whether uh, out of just, you know, wanting to see her and, and, and her wanting to see us or needing to do something for her. Uh-huh. So. so is she in an assisted living facility or a memory care clinic? So she's currently in assisted living, but because of those two wandering incidents that she's had. They've essentially said to me that if this happens again, we'll need to go to a higher level care. They do have a memory facility on that campus. Whether we'll be able to afford it, I'm not sure. 
so I may be back in the business of, of looking for another place sooner than I had anticipated. But we had actually discovered that she had a UTI, and because those can cause confusion, that might have been what yes. caused the wander. Uh-huh. We should say that's so. a urinary tract infection for people who don't yes. know, a UTI. Yes. Although I'm sure most of the people listening to this show would be familiar with that phrase. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, that, very that. common in this population. Yeah. Um, well, what was her impression when she first arrived at the facility? How did she acclimate? Um, she has acclimated better than I ever really could have imagined. Let me say here, this is good, as good a time as any. I'm extremely blessed to have a very kind mother and a very, a very flexible mother, really, in a lot of ways. But I think the kindness is the key. She is just, you know, for somebody who's repeating things to me often and over and over, the fact that they're often very complimentary and loving things mm-hmm. is such a gift. Yeah. Um, My mom's like that, too. We're really we so lucky because that's not common. No, it's not. I mean, we don't choose our families. That's so right. we get what we get. That's right. And we are so lucky to have people like that. And, you know, and that just came through. That has come through and continues to come through with this entire transition. You know, she, I know at times she was confused and scared, but she was so trusting and she was just so happy to be around me. Yeah. And let me say just overall, it's been very smooth and lots of reminders, lots of re-explaining, but it's been very smooth. Uh But we have had those moments where, for example, she called the administrator of her facility and offered herself as as a psychiatrist. Well, I don't think she ever actually said psychiatrist, but she was essentially applying for a job, essentially offering her services Mm -hmm. as somebody Mm -hmm. to work with some of the residents there, Hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, and not (laughs) Um, an altogether bad idea. I mean, she has dementia, but she could relate to people. I don't know. No, I I had that same thought. And maybe once we get through this immediate situation of the fact that she's wandered recently and and they're all a little bit on alert with her, I might circle back to that and say, you might consider an opportunity of just setting up a, I don't know how they, because they couldn't call it therapy and they couldn't call it, I don't know, but just a group discussion or something. Yeah, she she could spearhead a group discussion. That could be an activity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a great idea because, yeah. you know, people who have dementia, it doesn't mean that, you know, they stop living and they don't have meaningful lives. I yeah. think she's having a very meaningful life right now. I think uh-huh. she has found friends there. Uh-huh. She has this absolute joy of seeing her grandson at mm-hmm. least once a week. And he's the same. I mean, the two of them are the biggest fans of each other that oh, you could possibly so imagine. Have your siblings visited? My sister's been here. My brother hasn't been here yet, but he's he's got a lot right on his plate right at the moment. So uh-huh. I know he'll be out here as soon as he can. So, and what does your sister uh, think of the setup? Oh, she loves it. You know, I'd sent pictures, but she just couldn't believe, you know, how beautiful it was. And and it, that was my experience of first coming there. When I came there, kind of on a whim, because I just had a few minutes, mm-hmm. I stopped by the facility. I had, I had only heard of it. I didn't have an appointment, but I just said, well, I'm in the neighborhood and I have a few minutes. So I stopped by and I just felt this sense of peace there that that's all I want for my mom, really. You know, mm-hmm. I just want her to feel at peace. And at and, that point, how many facilities had you visited? Well, <laughs> just that very day, I had visited one that was not at all in my uh, consideration once I visited it, because uh-huh. it was 
a very, very frightening and really just absolutely unsecured place, and it, right on a very busy street. And I, uh, yeah. Yeah, really so varies, I just, doesn't it? Yeah. I just had that experience, and, and that's part of the reason I had a little extra time. I think I budgeted an hour for that place, and within five minutes, I was out the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you just know right I, away. No, yeah. That's not going to do it. <laughs> and I, I actually, I think in total, only visited three or four places. I did phone conversations and things like that with lots of other places, but uh-huh. this place just felt so right, and the price was better and all of these things. So I just thought, you know, I don't need to beat this horse. <laughs> just right. let's do this. <laughs> right. Let's so, do this. Um, that should be the mantra of every caregiver. Yeah. Let's do this. Oh, that's the thing. I mean, you can drive yourself nuts trying to, you know, get it exactly right and try to get all ducks in the row. And, but you just need to find the right duck, put it in, you know, put it in a <laughs> row and go. Right. <laughs> so, well, you wanted, so you wanted to, I think, talk a little bit about your experience of navigating the healthcare system. Is there anything oh. in particular you'd like to talk about? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm sure I am not the only one who has gone through this. But so I had no experience whatsoever with navigating the healthcare system because I've, I've been a university employee for you know, 10 plus years. I've had the same, I've had Kaiser Permanente that entire time. I chose Kaiser Permanente because to me, I prefer to have everything in one place. I don't want to have to look for a doctor and look for, you know, make sure everybody's in the network. I, mm-hmm. Some people love that. I do not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. some people love that flexibility and that's just, that's just not part of my, what I need to be doing with my hours in the day. So even when the Healthcare Act went through, I never had to deal with, you know, a healthcare marketplace or anything like that. So I didn't realize that, you know, because I thought, well, my mom's on Medicare. You know, Medicare is everywhere. Medicare is federal. So Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about that. Well, oh, so wrong. Oh, so very wrong. Um, And so I didn't get very much of it settled or figured out before I moved her here. And of course, moving a person at that age with thankfully physically very healthy, but you're still... (laughs) You still need to have systems in place. I had to very quickly figure out um, everything. At first, I just had to literally figure it out. You know, I mean, I just needed sort of a primer on healthcare in general. And so I, between various websites and various friends and everything, I kind of got a handle on what I needed to do. And, you know, she's not eligible for Medicaid yet, which is Medi-Cal mm-hmm. in California. So I, I just had to navigate. Also, when I first got there, they said, oh, we have doctors who come to the facility. So this is another interesting thing. Her early dementia diagnosis, when it went from MCI or a mild cognitive impairment to early dementia, Mm -hmm. that didn't happen until her doctor filled out the long forms that needed to be given to the assisted care facility. Right. That is a very important change, however, because once they have the dementia diagnosis of any kind, earlier or, or otherwise, they no longer can, at least at this facility, they can no longer go on any trips alone. They, you know, they, could, they can't go in the, the medical van, for example. They mm-hmm. have to have a caregiver with them. And that's a California thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know enough, honestly. I don't Uh know if it's a California thing or if Uh it's just specific to this facility. But when you say early dementia, do you mean early Alzheimer's? That's a very specific diagnosis. So well, maybe that is how they're treating it. Yeah, uh, in order to keep her safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the end, I mean, I am glad that they did that 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 they that they have that in place because you know I I didn't quite realize just how maybe where we were at when I was 
thinking, well, now I can't use the medical van that I thought I could use, you know, to, to, for her to go. And you said um, that diagnosis was made by the physician that's affiliated with the care facility? No, it was her physician from Wisconsin, um, you know, from Wisconsin okay, who okay. was a family friend and who was very helpful in okay. all of this. But, okay. um, but she didn't tell me that she was changing that diagnosis. You know, oh. and I think it was a, a valid change, but I, I just didn't know until it came through with the facilities. Anyway, so they had told me when I was moving her in that it's okay that she can't use the medical van because we have physicians that come and see patients in-house. And I said, oh, perfect. Mm -hmm. Then I find out that that is only if you have Medicare, not a Medicare HMO, which probably most of the people listening to this realize that straight Medicare is much more expensive, four times more expensive in certain cases than a Medicare HMO. Now, I don't know the difference. I never heard of a Medicare HMO. Well, Medicare HMO, essentially, you pick a single network. You know, just like Kaiser, you pick a network that you are in. You can't go outside of that network. Right, um, but I thought Medicare was a federal program that was apart and aside from the network of healthcare options like Kaiser. Am I wrong? No, Medi- Medicare has two levels. Okay. One is Medicare and one is Medicare HMO. And I may not be describing that exactly correctly, partially because I've all learned this. I've learned this all on the fly. Yeah, like we so, mostly do. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the real key to me learning a, a lot of this was actually finding a healthcare broker. I had a healthcare broker recommended to me and it saved me. Absolutely saved me. So that's a recommendation for our listeners. Was that terribly expensive? No, it was free. It's actually a lot like a real estate broker in that when you are the purchaser, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is free to you. And how did you find this healthcare broker? Recommendation of a friend. And certainly if anybody needed somebody in California... They are welcome to contact me through you sure. <laughs> in order okay. to get this person's information because sure. I would recommend him to anyone. And he specifically works with the um, elderly community. That's really great. It's just so overwhelming. You need an outside person. Right. And so, you know, I thought, oh, great, there's there's a doctor who comes in-house. Well, turns out that person only takes the full Medicare, right. not Medicare HMO. But because it was so much more expensive and because my mom is a fairly healthy person, It'd be one thing if she was seeing a doctor, you know, every week or something like that. It would start to make more sense to have the full Medicare. But because my mom is a fairly healthy person, I did end up going with the Medicare HMO and and we've just worked it out. You know, I've taken her to all of her appointments if I needed to. They have various forms of people who um, will come and take people to doctor's appointments and things like that. I actually have a friend who works as one, so I could hire her or mm-hmm. another person who's familiar with the facility or, you know, things like that. There are options. Does your mom have long-term care insurance? No. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't. No, we yeah. did not look into that. In well, time. that's very expensive. A lot of people don't. Yeah. And there are restrictions even with that, depending on what kind of policy you have. So I know that you've been handling this really pretty well. Have you had your own sort of moments of sadness where you've just broken down? And how do you deal with that? I appreciate you saying that I've dealt with it well. <laughs> Maybe we haven't talked about it enough. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. You know, the sadness is is the thing that I get the least, which I probably should have more of. Um, because you know that thing about when you push something... We push it out of your uh, your day to day awareness. It just comes back, comes raging back someday. So mm-hmm. it'll happen. I, you know, I have my moments, and my sister and I, and my brother and I, and you know, we we have our moments together and apart. It actually happened much more often before we brought her here, where you know we just would go 
from freakout to freakout or cry fest to cry fest. So I think now we're all at a point of acceptance of of the situation and it it's really more I think what's hardest for me is the frustration and the exhaustion of it. What do you mean by that when you say the frustration of what? <sighs> the frustration of repeating myself over and over. With her. To somebody, yeah, okay. with her. Mm-hmm. There, there has been some frustration at moments with the facility, but I think that's inevitable. And no place is perfect, mm-hmm. and no communication is perfect. So I think I've lucked out. Mm-hmm. So, if, you could, um, if you could get help with one thing right now, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. <sighs> well... So if you had asked me that question a couple weeks ago, I would probably have a different answer because I had a pile, I mean, a huge pile of my mom's mail to go through when we moved her because Mm -hmm. my mom was never great at dealing with bills and that kind of adult stuff. And with the added MCI flash dementia going on, it it had gone completely off the rails, I think, for at least a year. Mm. So I was wading through all of that and I'd just given up honestly I had literally given up because I just couldn't deal with it anymore I mean it was all of my free time was going to making phone calls paying bills doing all of those things and I had gotten through a significant amount but I still had a significant amount left and my sister came to town two weekends ago and we just went through it together and she took a pile of things that need still needed further follow-up back to New York with her. Mm-hmm. So for me, in my particular situation, sort of the, the bills and those things that just keep cropping up like that, that's hard for me, probably because I'm my mother's child and uh-huh. <laughs> I don't like dealing it with, with it in my own life. So yeah. well, dealing with somebody else's. you have a lot of other responsibilities. I mean, right. so, you have a job, you have a husband, you have a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess <laughs> it's like if I could get a life babysitter for like two hours, once a week even. If I could just give somebody my life for two hours once a week so I could go take a yoga class, that would, honestly, that would probably change my life. So between childcare and, and mom care, there's there's not a lot of time for that. And just like, you know, my house, my husband. Your husband is helpful so. though, right? Oh, so helpful. Oh yeah. my God. I mean, Could he's not, not do one of those of guys who just like checks out, right? Oh, no, no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. He's an incredible dad. and So just... even with him, it's still a lot. You're probably already thinking ahead to what's going to happen if your mom wanders again. Have you thought about mm-hmm. the next steps and what are they? Uh, the facility that where she is, as much as they can within their own legal boundaries and things like that and their own rules, really wants to make this work for her as long as possible. Because Mm -hmm. I think everybody realizes, given how physically able she is and how mentally able she is, other than the memory part of things, nobody wants to put her in a locked facility yet. You know, I mean, I think everybody realizes that's overkill for her stage Mm -hmm. and I mean, their locked facility, from what I can tell, is very full of activities and things like that. But she likes to do her own thing. She is such an incredibly independent woman. So some of the things that we're looking into, I mean, A, is making sure that UTIs are kept under control. B, we're considering some anxiety medications, Mm -hmm. some low doses. I feel very strongly I do not want her to be a vegetable in any way. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want anything strong, but 
she does have a lot of anxiety, and that might be causing also oh. the wandering. Where does she wander to? Well, it, it's the one entrance to the facility. She just um, walked off the ground. She just well, and there's there's security guards there, right, so and there are right, security cameras everywhere. So she is never. The first time it happened, she walked down the street, and actually one of the security guards just followed her. Didn't try to stop her, just followed her. Because uh-huh. I think partially because they weren't positive whether she was one of... Because some of the residents are perfectly fine walking right. off. So he followed her, and she got to the corner, and I, she, she immediately realized she was not where she was supposed to be, and just turned herself around and walked back in. Mm-hmm. And actually talked to the other security guard and just asked for help back yeah. in, basically. Uh-huh. So they didn't have... The second time... She actually went to the security guard and was confused and said, I want to go home. And he said, do you know where that is? And she said, no. And so they Mm -hmm. walked her back. So keeping the UTIs under control, Mm -hmm. possible anxiety medication, because Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of, there's a lot of nervous walking, a lot of nervous hand wringing. I, I think because she recognizes that she's forgetting these things and she you know, she's always looking, trying to find her cell phone or trying to find the book she was working on. Or Right. And, and she's it, alert enough and smart enough to know what she's forgetting. Exactly. And so that's probably really frustrating for her. Right. Right. So not all of it. She doesn't know all of it for sure. Right, thankfully. Right, oh, my God. Right, if she knew right. everything she was forgetting, she would go into a spiral of anxiety. But Right. Um, well, you know, my mom has some dementia as well. She was diagnosed okay. with early stages of Alzheimer's in 2012. Okay. And for me, it took a little bit of time to get used to, this is not the mom I grew up with. And um, that was a real hard adjustment for me. And it was sad. And it was a mourning of a different kind. But Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. found that a lot of her is still there. So I'm celebrating that. And I'm wondering if you went through that same passage of kind of grieving that loss. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I just in the past week or so have been thinking about that a lot maybe because I knew you and I were going to have this conversation <laughs> but I realized that I haven't actually been treating my mom as the mom that I grew up with for probably five years and I think that speaks to her own recognition about that same time ago that she was starting to lose these memories lose these things and I think that I needed to sort of protect myself in starting to recognize that I needed to protect myself and not rely on her for those kinds of things that I was still talking to her and and everything like that and and interacting with her in the same way. But her interaction changed too. You know, she suddenly stopped calling me. It was Hmm. the strangest thing, you know, you know, we would talk at least once a week and it was usually her calling me and then suddenly she just stopped calling me. And now she calls me every day, so we're back to that. But <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it, it's funny. yeah, it's it's been different, and I unfortunately have been so focused on just taking care of her business uh-huh. that because it's just, it feels like there's something not every day, but at least every week, there's just something that suddenly needs to be taken care of, whatever it is, whether it's healthcare related or you know, mm-hmm. facility related or, you know, any number of things. And I think between all of that, I haven't yet gotten to the point of enjoying. I, I've enjoyed having her, we bring her over almost every weekend. We have her over at some point in the weekend and have a meal together or something. Mm-hmm. And I usually see her during the week as well. But I haven't gotten to the point of really 
like, you know, I, I wanted to take her to the ballet and take her, you know, take her to things mm-hmm. that she can enjoy in, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin that she can in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I think because my level of stress was has just been so high with it and consequently with her, you know, I, I just I sometimes just get this stress reaction when I see that she's calling. It's like, oh, I just don't. I don't need this right now. I don't need to repeat myself a hundred times. You know, I don't. Right. And so, I, you know, I, I haven't been able to really fully enjoy it. And I want to get to that place. And honestly, when I get to that place, the true morning might happen. Yeah. You know, the morning that you're talking about. Uh-huh. Because in some ways, I think I probably delayed it by not mourning it then. <laughs> yeah, well, you're in survival um, mode. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So. You know, you don't think about self-care when you're in survival mode. <laughs> you just right. think about surviving. Right. Yeah. yeah so true. You'll, you'll get there. You'll get there. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that we didn't talk about? No, I think we've, this, is, this has been a great conversation. Great. Is there <laughs> any therapeutic it, for it, me. <laughs> good. You've given actually a lot of really good nuggets of information. But if there's any advice you'd like to give someone who might be in a similar predicament as to yours about right. how to navigate this and where to turn for help. Well, this is advice that I'm not necessarily great at taking myself, but I try, is just ask for help. Uh, you know, both from from family and friends, but also from professionals, like the healthcare broker situation. You know, I get in positions where I just try to muscle my way through things and make it happen because I have to take care of it. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's my mm-hmm. responsibility. I have to mm-hmm. do it. Yes and no. And even if it is your responsibility, like people want to help. People, you know, we we all we're all in this together. This is the same way as raising a child. It is a village. Mm-hmm. It's a village to take care of. That's why you have this podcast. That's why you do what you do. You know, it does take a village of people to navigate all of this and to support each other through all of this. So reach out, ask for help. Even a person on the street, you know, you just you just need a smile, you know, or whatever it is. Like, yeah. You know, just get what you need. Get what you need from the rest of humanity <laughs> while going through stuff like this. Krista works at the Polish Music Center at the University of Southern California, and she is also a certified Jiva Mukti yoga teacher. She's a real dynamo. Krista Close, thanks so much for being on the show. I really loved talking with you. Thank you for having me. Bye. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. We'd love to know what you thought of the show, so send us an email through the agewise.com website. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z or Z, as my Canadian mother says. And don't forget to check out the other great episodes we have online at the AgeWise website and download the show for free wherever you get your podcasts. The AgeWise podcast is produced and edited by me, Jana Panaritis, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. See you next week. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours. Yours.